Hey, my name is Jason Byler. I'm the pastor of Life Change Church. Thank you so much for checking out our podcasts. I believe that if you'll listen to them, uh, that you will be blessed. Mark 4 tells us that the Word of God uh, planted down inside of our hearts uh, can bring forth a rich, beautiful, abundant harvest in our lives. This is my desire uh, for you. Uh, so as you listen to the Word, just receive it. Let it get down in your heart and bring forth a harvest. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you. Well, I'd like to um, continue our discussion on uh, being Spirit-led uh, and, uh, and, and would like to, um, part two, uh, being still uh, in the Lord. We talked about uh, Psalm 4610 uh, last Sunday, talked about being still uh, in the Lord. It says, God speaks like specifically right there out of the Psalms and says to us, be still. Uh, and then following that instruction, as there often is, uh, there is a promise where he says, and know that I am God. That if we are still, uh, that we will know uh, that He uh, is God. So I want to just bring some more uh, to that uh, conversation because I think it's so important for us, if we're going to be uh, spirit-led, that we are still. We we can't be we can't be restless. Uh, we can't uh, be worried and anxious and and fearful. There's there's something powerful about. Uh, being at peace and and settled down and still and waiting on the Lord that if we if we will do that then there is the promise that we will know that he is God that he's going to that he's going to show up and move uh, in our lives i i've thought about Cain a good bit during this in Genesis chapter 4 and uh, and also the children of Israel uh, as they are wandering around uh, the wilderness and, and, and this restlessness that can come upon us doesn't lead to being led by the Spirit. It leads to wandering. And, and we don't want to be a wandering uh, people. We want to be a still uh, people uh, waiting on the leading of the Lord. It kind of works like this. We're still until He leads and then we move. And then we're still until He leads again and then we move. And then we're still until He leads again. And then we move. We want to be still. When we're still, we will know that He is God. Now, now in Psalm 46, uh, it's interesting uh, how that verse is there in that uh, chapter because there's, there's so much else there that really uh, speaks to us and, and helps us not only to be still, if we'll get these other things to be still, but that all kind of works together so that we come to the place where we are, what we want is we want to be more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want that in our lives, which is working to empower us so that we say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we hear better and, and see more clearly and recognize uh, the move of God. You know, I hear all the time people saying, you know, I, 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 I kind of felt like this, but I wasn't sure if it was God or, or not God. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to be, you know, led by the devil or led by myself. I want to make sure that I'm led by the, by the Holy Spirit. And I understand that conflict. And, and we want to, what we want is we want to get better 
at recognizing the leading of the Holy Spirit to where we know that God is moving. We know that God is leading. And I think we can come to the place where we do, where we're like, I know, I know this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Really, the argument most of the time that I have these days is not if it's God leading, it's if I want to follow. That's the argument that I have is, is I know what he's leading to do, and I really don't want to go do it. Because, it, you know, a lot of times it's challenging and gets us up out of our uh, comfort zones. We want to be uh, more and more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So before we get back to Psalm uh, 46, uh, let's, let's go over uh, some things that we, we talk about a good bit, but let's go over them again uh, from a little bit of a different uh, angle because these are so important uh, to understand and, and recognize the, the work of grace in our lives, uh, what has taken place because we have come to Jesus and, and, have, and have been washed in the blood and, uh, and, and see uh, who we are and who we are not and, and how God has moved and worked in our lives and what we should be moving on and working on as well. So I want to go to Galatians uh, chapter 2 to start... Um, we'll we'll uh, back up in Galatians chapter two. Well, I say back up. We'll we'll start at verse fifteen, Galatians two, uh, fifteen, where Paul, writing uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is explaining uh, explaining to us uh, again. This is all through the New Testament. Is is the the death in Christ and the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. He says, we, are, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles uh, know that a person, such an important verse, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, so, uh, so justified, um, you know, kind of a simple way to understand uh, justified is that is that by faith in Christ and all that He has done, we are justified so that God now sees us in Jesus just as if we had never sinned, just as if we had never done anything wrong. We now stand before Him not guilty, forgiven, redeemed, changed, and He sees us just just like like there's never been any uh, sin in our lives at all. And, and what he says here is that that doesn't happen because we do good works. We're, we're not justified by dotting every I and crossing every T and being as good as we possibly can be. It, it's not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ, which, you know, Ephesians also says that, you know, it, it's by grace that we are saved. And this not by works so that no one can boast. It's, it's what Jesus has done in our lives. So it's, it's not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, so we too, speaking of, of himself, this is Paul speaking of himself as, as a Jew, we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. So this is not only something that is for the Gentiles. This is something that is for the Jew as well. They cannot by works 
fulfill the law and be justified. Just like we've got to come to Christ, they have to come to Christ as well because it is faith in Jesus and all that he has done that justifies us, not works of the law. Because by the works of the law, this is like worth reading again, because by the works of the law, no one, no one, will be justified. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not going to be justified by works. No one will. It is is Christ and Christ alone. That's good news, really. Verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Uh, Absolutely not. So, so if it's not by works, and it's by faith in Christ Jesus, and in, in recognizing that, we recognize that we're sinners. Does this mean that, that Christ is okay with sin? Uh, very clearly, no. Absolutely not. If I rebuild... <clears throat> excuse me. Mm, a squeaky voice. Mm. If, I re, if I rebuild what I destroyed then I really would be a lawbreaker. So we're not, you know, if the, if, the, if the house of sin is torn down, we don't want to build that back up. Uh, for through the law, here we see this transformation taking place, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And living for God. Here's the, the famous Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So we, so we see that in Christ Jesus, when I put my faith and trust in Him, and I receive His transforming grace and His forgiveness, and I set Him as Lord in my life, and I accept His invitation to come and follow after Him, and I I, I abandon the, the wide road that leads to destruction and I enter through the, the small gate that is Jesus Christ and onto the narrow road that is being His disciple and following after Him, that what takes place is I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Uh, the, the King James, I think, here gives it a little bit more clarity. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live for myself anymore, but I live, and the life that I live, I live in Christ. But Christ lives in me. So I'm, I'm died to my sin. I'm died to the law. I'm died. I have died, been crucified to living for Jason, and I no longer live for myself, but now Christ lives in me. The, the life I now live in the body. So, so we, it's very clear that I am, I'm living, but my life is different, and the life that I now live in the body, I am still living in the body. It's important to recognize that, that we, uh, though we have been crucified with Christ, we live, but we're still in this body and on this earth and in this world, and we are surrounded by sin on every side, 
and there is the enemy and, and, and the spirit of Antichrist and deception and lies that are, that are all around us. All of this is still you know, taking place, but the, the life that I now live in the body, Christ lives in me, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself uh, for me. So it's very you know, similar to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 4 and 5 uh, where, where Scripture speaks to us and says that, 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 uh, that we you know, consider these light and momentary afflictions that are coming against us uh, as, uh, as, as worth it, as compared to the uh, surpassing greatness of knowing uh, Christ Jesus, of, of living for uh, Christ Jesus. So then Paul says there, he says, so, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is uh, eternal. And then in Second uh, Corinthians 5, there is that interesting passage of Scripture where he talks about living in the body, living in the tent that is this body. See, the reason I want to point this out is to, is to uh, show us uh, the, uh, the distinction that we're going to see, in, that we see in Galatians 5, that even though we've died uh, to and been crucified uh, and have died and Christ lives in us, that we still live in this body. So we still have to deal with this world. We still have to deal with the flesh, with our sinful nature. Uh, though, we are, though Christ lives within us and we live by faith in the Son of God. We have, we have been crucified to our sinful nature, uh, but we still live in this body and we have been born again into the Spirit. So there is, there is the flesh and there is the Spirit, and we are, and we are uh, as, as you see in Galatians 5, we can be, they, those can be in conflict with one another and not in agreement with uh, one another so that we can gratify the, the cravings of our sinful nature and not live according to the Spirit, or we can live according to the Spirit and not gratify the cravings of our sinful nature. And what we want is... To live not led by our flesh, not led by our sinful nature, but to live led by the Spirit, right? Because, you know, Romans, Romans 8, because, because the, the law of sin and death is death, but the, but the Spirit, that brings life. We don't want death and destruction. We want life and that more abundantly. So we live... In the body, but we live, Christ lives within us, and we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us, loved me. I I like that's very, you know, direct towards us, and gave himself for me. And verse verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through law, Christ died for nothing. So, So we're not. We're not uh, setting aside the grace of God or even changing the grace of God um, for if, if right justification, living could be gained uh, in any other way, then why did Christ 
go to the cross? Why did Christ die? So we recognize that it is, that it is only through what Christ has done that, that we can be righteous. It is only through what Christ has done that we can be justified and that, and that the grace of God doesn't, doesn't give us a license to indulge the sinful nature. The grace of God transforms us so that we are not only righteous before God, but that we can live righteously before God. So then, you know, if you move on in Galatians, he continues to explain this and really breaks this down in Galatians chapter 5. And, and that's where we, we see the list of the acts of the sinful nature that, that lead to destruction. And then we also see the list of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, um, which we've looked a good bit at that. So what I want to what I want to see this morning is Galatians chapter 6, uh, which, is, which is such a popular, uh, this, this part of Galatians chapter 6 is such a popular passage of Scripture, uh, starting at verse 7. You're probably familiar with it. This really highlights what, uh, what you know, kind of the focus of our series is. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps... What he sows. How many of you know this? Uh, whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So here we clearly see uh, the, the living in the body, but we also clearly see that just because we're living in the body doesn't mean that we have to live for our flesh or our sinful nature, but that we can live to, to please the Spirit, to be led by uh, the Spirit. Um, and, and we see that, that the flesh, uh, sinful nature, uh, that, that, is, that leads to destruction, and that the Spirit, uh, the sp- living b- led by the Spirit, that leads to eternal life, uh, leads to abundant life, you know, just like uh, Romans says. So here God speaks to us and says, don't be deceived. This is so important. He says, he says God cannot be mocked. This is just reality. This is law that a man reaps what he sows. And, and there's nothing that we can do about that. And there's no way that we can change it. This is how it is. And this is how it works in in the physical nature and in the spirit nature, in the kingdom of this world and in the kingdom of God. The law of sowing and reaping is a law that has been established. It is sealed. It cannot be changed. What you sow, I don't care what you do, that you're going to reap. Right? You can sow apple seeds and you can do chants and, and prayers and dances to make that produce corn. It's not going to, right? It's going to produce an apple tree that produces apples. What we, what we sow, that is what we reap. This has been promised uh, in, in Genesis chapter 8 and 9 
we see Noah coming out of the flood. And God makes a covenant with Noah and with all mankind. And when God establishes a covenant, He establishes it and it cannot be broken. And He is faithful to that covenant. And God placed a rainbow in the sky as a sign to us of His covenant that He has established. And the covenant is this, that He will not ever again destroy the earth with water. There's not going to be, I don't care what Hollywood movies make, there's not going to be a worldwide flood again that destroys the earth. God has promised and coveted with us that it would not take place. And then God says, as long as the earth endures, there will be two things. There will be seed time and harvest. What you, what you sow, you will reap as long as the earth endures. And the seasons will endure. There is going to be winter Spring, summer, and fall, as long as the earth endures, those four seasons will continue. God has promised. He has set His rainbow in the sky, uh, declaring that uh, promise. So we know that what a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. A man reaps what he sows. We need not be deceived to think that that shifts or changes. So, So when we look at this, He points it out that if we sow to please the flesh, then of the flesh you will reap destruction. But if you sow to please the Spirit, then of the Spirit you will reap eternal life. So if we, you know, know, so a lot of people kind of take it this way, and I think this is right, but I think we need to take it a little bit further too. Take it this way, that 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 if I live according to the flesh, that that's going to be destruction. And, And that's true, it's just not deep enough. And, but, and if I live according to the Spirit, that's, that's going to lead to life, and, and, and that more abundantly and eternal. And that's true as well, but I think we need to take it a little bit deeper, uh, because, because Scripture takes it deeper when it brings in uh, the, the law of sowing and reaping. Because what it actually says is, if I sow to the flesh, then from the, the flesh I will reap destruction. And if I sow to the Spirit, then from the Spirit I will reap eternal life. So, so think of it this way. Think of it as a, think of, think of the flesh as, as ground. And, and you can work that ground and care for that ground and sow seeds into that ground. And if you do, what's going to happen is you're going to reap what you sow, where you put intention, where you put effort, where you, where you farm and work and garden, that is going to bring forth harvest. So if you're, if you're working and gardening and farming the, the ground that is the flesh sinful nature and you're sowing into that, then that's where you're going to reap harvest and that's going to lead to destruction. But there's also the opportunity for us to to garden, work, and farm the garden that is the Spirit and put our effort and focus and work and into, that, into that ground and sow seeds into that ground so that from that ground we are reaping a harvest and from that ground we reap a harvest of eternal life. So, so where we're putting effort and work and gardening and farming, that's what we're going to reap from we're we're going to we're going to live according to the flesh we're going to follow the ways of the flesh if that's if that's where our work is if that's where if that's the ground that we're gardening 
If that's the ground that we're sowing into, that's the ground that's going to produce a harvest that leads to destruction. We, we can't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. We can't be deceived and think, I can work the ground of the flesh sinful nature. I can garden that and invest in that and indulge in that and sow into that. And then when the Spirit leads, I'm going to follow the Spirit's leading. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't be mocked. That's, that's not what's going to happen. Where you sow, that's what you're going to reap from. So, so I say this because this kind of thinking is, is all through the church. That I can, I can kind of like, you know, dance with the devil, if you will. And anytime I want to, pull up out of that and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That, that I can live in the world and indulge the world and, and embrace the world and love the world and sow into the world and, and long for and desire all the things of the world and run down that path. And when the Spirit leads, I can pull up and, and I will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Like this idea that, that I can kind of work both gardens and grow from both gardens, but, but we cannot. We, do not, we need not be deceived what we sow to, what we work, that is what we will reap. So what we want to do is we want to put our work and our effort, and I'm not talking about being worked to be saved, right? We're not working to be saved. We, we have the grace of God and our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But now that we are in Christ, we are alive in the Spirit, and we have the wisdom of God to recognize that we need to, we need to neglect the ground that is the flesh sinful nature and we need to garden the ground that is the garden of the Spirit. That's where we need to farm. That's where we need to work. That's where we need to sow our seed and then from that we will reap eternal life. So what I'm saying is if, if we're working the, the, the garden of the Holy Spirit, that's going to empower us Make us more sensitive. Help us to be led by the Spirit. To give in to the Spirit. To indulge, if you will, the desires and the cravings of the Spirit. Those are okay to indulge. But if we're, if we're working the ground that is the flesh, sinful nature, that's where we're going to be led. That's what we're going to give in to. That's where we're going to reap a harvest. We need not be deceived and think that we can think that we can fool the system. <laughs> we can break kingdom of God principles. What, what we sow, that will we reap. Now, maybe this helps us understand Ephesians 5 a little bit better. Ephesians 5. <clears throat> says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So we can recognize that we're careful where we're gardening, where we're working, where we are uh, sowing seeds. Because if we're, if we're sowing to the sinful nature, to the flesh, then that can lead to destruction. So we want to be very careful that we are working uh, the garden that is uh, the Spirit so that we can be led by uh, the Spirit. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You see, when we are, when we are uh, carefully gardening the, uh, the garden of the Holy Spirit, 
if you will, sowing to the, sowing to the Spirit, uh, then the Spirit's desire is to lead us in accordance with the will of God. So the Holy Spirit, when we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, this is so important to understanding God's will because the Spirit's going to lead us to, to, to follow the will of God in, a, in, a, in alignment with God's will for our lives. Verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think this is like you know, kind of fleshing out for us what uh, Galatians 6 says, where we see that there are things that influence us to, the, to give in to the sinful nature. You know, when we get drunk on wine, that can lead to debauchery, to, to saying yes to our flesh, saying yes to our uh, sinful nature. Instead, we want to be filled with the Spirit, which leads us, to, empowers us to say yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we recognize that there are things in this life that empower the flesh, the sinful nature, that sow into the flesh, into the uh, sinful nature, uh, so, that, uh, so that our sinful nature, uh, so that we are empowered to say yes to our sinful nature, and there are things in life that empower uh, the Spirit. So... So when we, are, when we are restless and worried, that, that empowers the flesh. But when we are still and waiting and resting in the Lord, that empowers us to be led by the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to be drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. We don't want to be filled with worry. That leads to saying yes to the sinful nature. And, and many other things do, like hatred. Right? Hatred is, is not uh, promoting or leading us uh, or, or helping us to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but it leads us to say yes to the sinful nature or, or bitterness. Bitterness is, is not empowering us towards the leading of the Holy Spirit, but it empowers us uh, toward uh, the, the sinful nature or, or uh, immorality. Immorality doesn't empower us uh, towards the the leading of the Holy Spirit, but towards the, the leading of uh, the sinful uh, nature. Uh, um, and, and many uh, other things we could list. Uh, so we, so we want to get these out of our lives and we want to make sure that, that we are gardening and, and, and working on the things in our lives that will empower us to, uh, to say yes to the leading of the Spirit in our lives because the Spirit leads us in accordance with the will of God and the Spirit leads us to abundant life and eternal life and, and saying yes to the sinful nature, to the flesh, does not. Life, life is not there. There's, there's death and destruction there. The deception is that all of this is flipped around and backwards, right? And that, and that the things of the sinful nature don't lead to debauchery, but they lead to, to fun and enjoyment and, and life and that more abundantly. But that is not at all right. That is true. And we don't want to be wise and not foolish and not give in to that deception. So let's dive into uh, Psalm 46 here and get some real help uh, from this wonderful psalm uh, in uh, 
in, in learning how to, to be led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Right, right off the bat, so powerful and, uh, and so helpful as we see uh, here uh, that, that there are three powerful things that God is for us. That God, uh, He is our, our refuge. He's, he's our place of safety you know, that we can run to and be protected and guarded and secure. And that God is our strength. These, these are so important. And not only is He our strength, but He is also uh, our help. So if we take, these are going to so help us uh, to be still and to be led by the Spirit. If God is our refuge, and God is our strength, and God is our help in trouble, if, if, he's, if He's where we run to for security, and if He's where we look to for strength, and if He's where we go for help, that's going to help us to be still, and when we're still, we will know that He is God. So right off the bat, there's these you know, powerful three instructions that we need in our life. You know, is, is the name of the Lord the strong tower that you run into and find uh, safety? You know, or, or do you go somewhere else uh, for refuge? You, you see, when we're... When we're uh, sowing into the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, this is what happens. God is our refuge and our strength and our help. And when we, and when we want to be led by the Spirit and be still, we've got to have God as our refuge and God as our strength and God as our help. But we can also, if we're, if we're not careful and, and we get deceived, we can look to the world to be our comfort and our refuge and, and our strength and our help. And when we get into those, when we, when we get into that uh, conflict, then it leads to not being still, but we find that we are restless and anxious and troubled. And, uh, you know, one of the worst things we can do is to look to ourselves uh, for our strength, to, to think that I can handle it, or I can accomplish it, or that I am enough uh, to fulfill it, right? It's, 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 <laughs> it's, a, it's Philippians 4, uh, 13 that says, I can do all things because I'm awesome. Because of who I am, because of the strength of my arm, and the wisdom that I have, and the education that I've achieved, and the talents and skills, and, and man, I can run fast and jump high. You know, it, no, it's I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, God, so important to be instilled is that God is our refuge, and that He is our strength, and that He is. Our help, verse 2 says, therefore we will not fear. Well, why? Why? Because there's so much to be afraid of. Why will we not fear? Well, we will not fear because God is our refuge and He is our strength and He is our help. So, so it says, we'll, we'll, we'll not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It, it's like this, this whole chapter of, of Psalm 46, uh, to me, is, uh, is very prophetic. Um, I don't know how it's fulfilled unless we get into the book of Revelation and see the fulfillment of it there in the, in the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, these things uh, happen 
But if God's our refuge and our strength and our help, then when these things are happening, we need not fear. Right, at, right, and right now, when we look at the at the world and the craziness that's going on, and we see signs of the coming of our Lord, and we say, "Hey, it looks like Jesus might be coming back soon," to, to many uh, that that stirs up fear within them. But if God is our refuge and our strength and our help, then we need not be afraid. Though the earth give way and mountains fall into the heart of the sea. We don't need to be afraid. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we are not afraid because God is our refuge and God is our strength and God is our help. Then, then you come into uh, verse 4, and, and this seems like a very strange verse to me. It, like it, if, you're, if you're just reading through it and you don't really take some time to dig down into it, you think like, you know, this is almost like out of place. There's this verse here, and then it goes back into uh, you, you know the, the Lord dealing with the nations. But, but here it is, and when you really dig into it, here it should be. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. The nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Again, very, very revelation sounding. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. Again, you know, very, very revelation sounding. In that, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. God is, God is going to bring an end to war. And these things will no longer be needed. And, and it says that they'll, we'll just, we'll just make farming equipment out of them and stuff like that. Because they'll no longer be needed. God's, God's going to bring an end to all of that. And there will be peace and forevermore it will be. Hallelujah. And then he says, Be still and know that I am God. Again, Revelation sounding right. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There, there will be a day that, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a good day to do it now and not wait when, when we are in the day of salvation. Now, let's back up to, there is a river. What is that, verse 4? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. This is so important because, because here we see that this is so important to be instilled and to, and to being led by the Holy Spirit, because here we see that God is not only our refuge, and not only our strength, and not only our help, but that He is also our source. That, that it is the river of God that is our supply, that is our provision, that is the source of everything that we need. We also see you know, this river in the book 
of Revelation. But we also see the mention of, of, the, of the river and the streams in Psalm chapter 1. I want to read this to you. Love Psalm chapter 1. Uh, you should memorize it. Uh, Psalm 1. Uh, just read, we'll just read 1 through 3. We won't take all six verses because that's just too time consuming. <laughs> Blessed. Listen to this. Blessed. This is true. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, right? We're, we're up out of that, this world and the sinful nature. We're not walking in step with the wicked you know, or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So what do we do? But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Isn't this beautiful? We, as the people of God, who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, have been crucified to this world and have been uprooted, if you will, and planted in the river of God, the river that streams may glad the city of our God, and that river is our source. So we are still, and we are at peace, and we are at rest, and we are able to wait because we're planted in the river that never runs dry. We are not dependent on the world and the money of the world and the provisions of the world and the governments of the world and the economy of the world and the, and the, and the, and the deceptions of the world and the pleasures of the world. Those things are no longer our source, our provision, where we find our hope and our security. We've been pulled out of that and thank the Lord because those things run dry. And those things are going to come to an end, right? We're going to look at Revelation here in just a second. Those things are coming to an end, but this river, read the book, flows and never stops. It's flowing at the end, and that is the river that we are planted in, and it is our source. And so we are not worried. And we are not afraid because we are, we are trees planted in streams of water. And we will, if we will, if we will stay planted in the river, it will lead, it will bring to us all that we need so that we, so that we bring forth fruit and season and our leaf does not wither and whatever we do prospers. You see, if you're going to be still and be led by the Spirit, then God has to be your source. If your source is something else, then you're, then you're not going to be able to be still. If, you're, if God's not your source, then how can you not worry? How could you not fear? How could you not be restless? But if God is your source, if you're planted in the river and in Christ we are, then we have all that we need. He is our provision. It doesn't matter if it rains. Because we're planted in the river that never runs dry, right? When Who was provided for when, uh, when the rain shut up for three years, 
Who was, was Elijah provided for? He was provided for. Because God was his source. God cared for him in every, in every way. Now, now that is wonderful, but that is not all that it says. And we need to see all that it says. If we go back to Psalm 46, I'm, I'm excited about this. Psalm 46, back, back to verse 4. This is so important. This, this is not known. We should know this. I think we do, but it is, not, it is not seen. See here, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. So, so we recognize that this river is our source, but do you see what else it says? It's not just our source. You see what else it says? It says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. So not only does this river provide, but this river satisfies. That in this river, we find gladness and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. So that not only is God our source, but He is also the one who satisfies us. The, the, the rivers and waters and, and cups of this world, the rivers and waters of it are kind of a bad picture, but they do not bring gladness. They do not bring joy. They do not bring happiness. They do not bring satisfaction. That is found in the Lord. Not only our source, but also makes us glad. Where the fun is, is in being a child of God. Where the gladness is, is in being, is being a tree planted in this river. This is where you will be fulfilled. This is where you will smile and laugh. This is where you will find joy and gladness and life and happiness. It is not in the world. See, see, here's the deception is that, yeah, yeah, you can, you can be planted in that river and have all you need, but life is dull and boring and no fun. You should probably, you know what you should probably do? You should probably go drink of the cup from the world of a little, of a little while and get good and drunk and have a good time, and then, you know, then you could abandon that and you can come and plant yourself in the, in the streams of the Lord and be supplied for and be bored. This is not true. This is where the gladness is. This is where the joy is. This is where the life is. It is planted in the river of God. The cup of the world doesn't bring life. It doesn't supply. It doesn't bring happiness or joy or gladness. It steals. It kills. It destroys. And it intoxicates us so that we so that we run after more of it, thinking that maybe this time it'll make me happy. Maybe this time it'll satisfy and fulfill. That's why Proverbs says that the drunkard says, when will I awake so that I can find another drink? Because he's thirsty again. Because he needs fulfillment again. Because he needs to be satisfied again and again and again. And, and, the, and, the, and the more he indulges, the less it helps. And the more he needs it. And on and on and on it goes. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well? He said, if you drink of me, you never be thirsty again. You're satisfied and fulfilled and glad 
it's all covered and taken care of. Let me remind you what Revelation 17:1 says. I know, I know that we read this, but, but we need to see, we need to see the contrast here. Revelation 17, read verse verse 1. Uh, again, this is this is uh, speaking of of the coming to an end of, of of several things, but we'll just focus here in on the on the ways, uh, the pleasures, the indulgences, the the systems uh, of this world. Uh, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, "Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on the on the many waters, the the nations and." Uh, upon the nations of the world is the many waters. Uh, 15 says that. I think I said 14 last Sunday, but it's, it's Revelation 17, 15. Now I'm wondering about that. I think that's right. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Because this, this, this indulging in the world just leads to us being intoxicated so that we can't hear the Spirit and be led by the Spirit like we should and, and, and to just run after more and more and more. Then the angel carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness and there I saw a woman sitting on a, on a, on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, um, you know, blasphemous names, proclaiming, proclaiming itself to be Blasphemous names, like if you think about this uh, in, in relationship to what we're talking about, blasphemous names could be declaring itself to be refuge and strength and help and supply, source, satisfaction. All those things that are only found in God, blasphemous, right? Jesus was accused of, of blasphemy when he said what? When he said that, that he was the son of God. And they accuse him of being blasphemous when he said that he was the son of David, referring to himself as the Messiah, as the Christ. It's blasphemous is, you know, I'm taking, calling upon myself what only is God's and what only can be his. So, so these blasphemous names are saying all that here, here in this woman and in, in all that she has is refuge. Here is strength. Here is help. Here is pleasure and joy and gladness and peace. Life is found here, but it is not. She's covered with blasphemous names and has seven heads and, and ten horns. Um, I'm not going to you know, try to explain all that right now, but you can read. The angel explains it to John in Revelation 17, so go home and read that, and, uh, and then you'll clearly understand. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls, all these you know, shiny uh, things. And, and, and she held, this is, this is part I want to get to here, she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. It's a golden cup in her hand. This is actually what it's filled with, but it is a blasphemous cup that's saying here is the drink that you need. Here is where you will find life. Here is where you will find supply. Here is where you will find joy and gladness. But this cup in her hand is filled with abominable things. And the kings and the, and the nations of the world drink it up 
and then they, and then they are thirsty again, and they got to run to drink it up some more, and it doesn't lead to abundant life, but it destroys. It steals, kills, and destroys. Verse, verse 5 says, The name written on her forehead was a mystery beyond the great. Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes, and of all the abominations of the earth. She is all the abominations of the earth, and she has this cup in her hand that the nations drink from that is full of of abominable things. And that, men and women of God, people of God, is not for us. We don't drink from that cup. We are planted in the river of God, and in the river of God, we truly find our, our supply and our every need met. And see, we think the deception is yeah, you, can, you can get all your needs met in the river, but gladness is in the cup, fun is in the cup, joy is in the cup. If you want to have a good time, it's in the cup. If you want to know where life's really at, it's, it's in the golden cup. It is not. There is a river whose streams not only supply, but they satisfy. There's a river whose streams not only provide, but they make us glad. It is in Christ, planted in His river, that we find all that we need and that we find life and that more abundantly. And when, and when God is not only our source, but He is our satisfaction, He is not only our provider, but He is where we run for gladness, then we can be still. And when we're still, we will know that He is God. When we're not running after all these things to satisfy us and to provide for us and we find all of that in God, the restlessness goes away. The deception is that we'll find it somewhere else. It is a deception. It is a lie. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. When we sow to the Spirit, there we will reap life and that more abundantly. If, if we want to if we want to be people led by the Spirit, who are sensitive to the Spirit, we've got to be still. We've got to be planted in the river of God. And when we're planted in the river of God, we will bring forth fruit. Our, our leaf will not wither. Whatsoever we do will prosper. And we will be glad. We're going, to, we're going to enjoy every minute of it. We are, going to be, we are going to be satisfied in every way so that we are not thirsty anymore. Let's not be deceived by the things of this world, whatever may be in that cup. May be pleasurable for a moment, but in the end it steals, kills and destroys, but the river of God provides and makes us glad. If God is our source and He satisfies, then we have taken a great step in the right direction 
of being people that are led by the Spirit. We rob the enemy of so many temptations and deceptions. Let's let's be planted in the river. Planted in the river, we will be glad. If you get planted anywhere else, you will not. I don't care what anybody says or this world says or the enemy says. Because when the enemy says something, he's a liar. If his mouth's moving, he's, he's lying. He's deceiving. God is our refuge. God is our strength. He is our ever-present help in time of need. He is our source. He is our satisfaction. He makes us glad. He is God Almighty. He is, he is exalted in our lives, and someday He will be exalted on the earth by everyone. He is where life, and, and that more abundantly, is found. So let's, in Christ Jesus, find all that we need by being planted in the river of God and letting it supply and satisfy. Then we'll be still and we'll know that He is God. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just just want to give you the opportunity, if you have not, to, to abandon this world and to find all of your, your joy and gladness and life in Christ and in Christ alone. If you want to be that tree planted in the river of life, if you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, I just ask you to raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. Yes, amen. I see your hands. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. If you're watching online, just, just raise up your hand wherever you may be. If you're listening to a podcast, just, just lift your hand up and, and just pray with me. Everyone just... Uh, repeating after me, Lord Jesus, I believe that abundant life is only found in you. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I open up my heart, ask you to come in and be my Lord, my Savior, my forever passion. I give you my life. Plant me in the river. Be my everything. Make me glad. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There is a river. And streams provide and make us glad. God bless you. Uh, stay planted in that river. See you back here Sunday.